0: So, I'm here today with Megan Bonhomme. Is it Bonhomme or Bonhomme? We say Bonham. Bonhomme. Okay. Canadian. It's kind of fudging the middle ground there between French and English. I like it. Yeah. Bonhomme. But I
1: don't say it with the French accent. If you are French speaking and you want to say it with the French accent, you go.
0: But I mean, I do speak French, but I'm just a girl from Wyoming. So, somebody back home would punch me in the face for it. So, we'll just go I with do- Bonhomme. We'll go with Cool. Benham. So, Megan Bonhomme is a self care educator who owns and runs the Lovely Human School, which is potentially the best name I've heard in a very long time. Yeah, I love it, it's a great name. But she's also a full-time college professor in Canada, where she's from, and has been teaching for 13 years. But she started very young, so I'm looking at her and there's no way she's been teaching for 13 years, but allegedly she has. Her mission with the Lovely Human School is to help others know who they are and take care of themselves. There's obviously a lot here for the discomfort practice because I've talked about it in past episodes about how important knowing when to stop and take care of yourself is when having a discomfort practice, when pushing the edges of your comfort zone and seeking to evolve and grow. So Megan launched the Lovely Human School as an eight-week curriculum to help people develop a roadmap to living the life they want to live. As part of that, Megan also runs something called Sunday online self-care clubs, which I love, where members check in each week and plan out their self-care for the coming week. And I love this concept. It's just delicious. And the accountability and the fact that it's online so everybody can show up and have no excuse is beautiful. And I know from experience that stuff works. So in short, the lovely human school is the kind of school without the bullies who steal your lunch. It's exactly the kind of school we all want to grow up in. The courses, the clubs, the community, all the things you wished your school experience was. Now, as an adult, you get to choose your own ending. Don't settle for less. This is where your story changes. And Megan is described as your lead cheerleader, fun yogi, teacher, and accountability BFF to shake you out of your negativity and guide you to deep self-love. So we're having this conversation today as part of the discomfort practice because life is uncertain. And right now is particularly uncertain. We don't even know where we are in this pandemic and the world has changed forever. So uncertainty and the change that we're all going through and need to navigate at an increasingly rapid pace is stressful. We need to focus on those moments of self-care and there's no way that we can change the world for the better if we are not firing on all cylinders. So it's absolutely essential if we are to thrive, if we are to help others thrive. So let's talk about self-care. Welcome, Megan.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I feel like it sounds so much better when you say it. So I was just in I'm like, did I create that? Did I? Am I all those things? So thank you for reflecting back to me. I really enjoyed that introduction. Maybe the best I've had.
0: That is such a delight to hear because I really love, I actually love introducing my guests, which is why I I do it live. I do it with my guests because partly I want them to potentially be uncomfortable with how awesome they are. And that's why I'm asking them onto this podcast in the first place. But also, yeah, to reflect back to them how awesome they are and let them just like get comfortable with that uncomfortable realization that they're somebody. You're kind of a big deal, to quote Anchorman, which is one of my favorite films. But yeah. I mean, it was easy to craft a good biography because you've already crafted a good one and you have a good biography. So you're welcome. You can pay me in chocolate chip cookies and I will read it to anyone you want anytime. Just I love know. it. Then-
1: I love it. Well, we have it forever recorded here. So I'll just send people to the podcast so that they can learn a thing or two.
0: It's a clever way to get your people to follow my podcast. Thank you. I will remember that. You're welcome. All right. Feel free to use that. All right, so you know the drill. The first question is always the same, which is what's an uncomfortable moment that has shaped who you are and what you do in the world?
1: Okay. Well, we're just going to dive in deep here right off the hop. And I would say that that moment would probably be coming out. Uh, Mm -hmm. That has been one of the biggest moments in my life. And at that time, I really thought that my world was ending. I had been so excited in this newfound discovery of myself, of being like, here I am in the world and I've fallen in love. And, you know, I didn't see it as some big deal because it just felt natural to me. It just felt normal. And despite the fact that I had dated men in the past, it literally fell into my lap. I was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel like. And so in my naivety, I thought everybody else would feel the same way. And so in really owning who I was, I ended up feeling very alone for a very uh, long time. And particularly when it came to my family, who um, everything is fine now. We have gone through therapy and conversations and, and we've taken you know so many strides forward. But at that time, it was kind of like the movie they had for me had ended or had shifted. And I think that there's a lot of grief associated with that. And so in that big discomfort of me having to hold myself to this version of myself that I knew to be true, that I knew to be authentically me, while also holding others' expectations of me and having to negotiate and navigate that and not doing what I had done for many years, which was, you know, Letting my voice be quiet and, you know, kind of curling my shoulders and being like, okay, well, if that's how you see me, then that's how I'll be. Or if, if that's what you want, then that's what I'll do, right? That people pleaser. I really held my own and that was so uncomfortable for me. There was so much friction in doing that and the loss that I felt in that time. It was almost like I was grieving a part of me, like I was losing a part of me while gaining something incredible. It really truly was a moment that defined me because it's sort of where all my self-care began, where I started to value myself and have reverence and believe that that this is truly who I am meant to be and I'm not apologizing for it. Right. So much like, you know, when you're younger and someone's like, do you like the Backstreet Boys are in sync and you kind of want to <laughs> go along with everyone because, you know, Nick was the cute one. And that's what you You felt you had to do, like this was it on an exponential, like huge level, right? So, what I had dealt with previous to this was a lot of the going along with things that didn't come at a cost. And had I not held myself to this, there was a very big cost. It would have been my integrity and my authenticity and my power. And I decided to do something that I hadn't done, which was just to say, no, like I am in love and I am this person. And so, from that, there were many days of crying on all fours on the kitchen floor, feeling like, you know, the rug just totally swept out from underneath me and feeling like I I don't know who I am without family in this iteration, right? Or what this now looks like. And so I just started reading and I started being with myself. And rather than being everything for everyone else, I started to be everything for myself. And that was really the beginning of Lovely Human School, even though I didn't know that that's what it was called, but it was really starting that foundation of freeing myself from other people's expectations and really beginning to see myself through the eyes of like true love, true self-love.
0: Wow. It's such a catalyst for you to be yourself. And some people might be able to relate because they themselves have had to come out. But there are so many things that people can probably relate to there. The thing that pushed you to have to own yourself and to not live to please others. And it's just such a relatable story. And it's also such a good girl story. I had a guest a few episodes back, Kasha Arboniak, who wrote a book and runs a thing called The Academy, which is about helping women to claim their power. And she talks about, you know, the good girl double bind because you either have to be a good girl or an independent woman, but there's nowhere in there that is actually about really just owning yourself and loving yourself. And it's just, such a tragedy! It's such a waste of our energy, and we really are conditioned, particularly as women, to be everything to everybody. To like and to be like, can't I just like In Sync and Backstreet Boys, Justin Timberlake, so talented, Nick, so cute? You know? Oh yeah! Wow! You can tell we were in high school in nineties and early 2000s. Yeah,
1: I know. I kind of gave it away, didn't I?
0: It did, but I felt immediately comfortable. Thank you for that. Right. Yeah! Wow! What a beautiful story. Of I mean, that's one of the big ones that. I think so many people avoid for their entire lives. But not just coming out as gay or queer of any kind. It's coming out as who you truly are. So if you're listening to this, maybe there's something you need to come out about. And it's not your sexuality or your gender. Maybe it's coming out as somebody who doesn't want to spend Christmas with your family or somebody who wants to have separate bedrooms from your partner and it doesn't mean the end of your partnership it just means you want to sleep alone because they snore you know like what do you need to come out about because it's part of self-care so let's launch into that because you have set up this beautiful lovely human school i'll keep saying it like that because i love the name but I, i heard you say in an interview that you hit a lot of rock bottoms before you got into self-care before you learned to take care of yourself, but then before you became a self-care entrepreneur. So what was that step then that pushed you to set up something for other people? You know, that didn't just stop with you learning about self-care. What drove you to set up the lovely human school?
1: So ever since I could remember setting up my stuffies on the bed, I have been a teacher, just a natural teacher. I've coached swimming lessons. I am the older sister to the most precious baby sister. I was nine when she was born. And so that teaching capacity is just in me. And it's what I love to do. I love to learn. I love to share that knowledge. I love to be in that mode of seeking. For self-betterment. I think one of my very first like real books was Chicken Soup for the Soul. I feel like I had maybe 10 in my bookcase and I would just read them. I would say that was like one of the very first self-development sort of hurrahs that like took the international stage by storm. And so ever since I can remember, I've just been in this sort of world of self-betterment and teaching. And so it just felt really natural to share what I was going through and to really bring it into the things that I was doing. And so at that time I was teaching at the college and, and so I started bringing it into my classrooms in terms of six-minute rights. We would watch a video or I would talk about something totally not related to English, totally not related to fitness, and we would just have conversations about it. And so that's really where Lovely Human School started was me starting to integrate some of these nuggets and lessons with my students when I started to see that They weren't really coping with the world very well. Mm -hmm. Like their stress management skills were not great. And it made me reflect on my own stress management skills. And so the next stage of that was, you know, was yoga and was more mindfulness practices. And so I joined a studio and spent the first, I don't know, few months crying on my mat, front (laughs) robe off to the left, wiping puddles of tears off my mat. And for the first time, really figuring out like, who am I without all the noise, without the parents, without the friends, like just me on my mat, without any distractions, like who am I? And I realized I didn't know who the heck I was. I had no clue. I knew I was a teacher. I knew I somehow loved myself, but I didn't know what that looks like. I didn't know what it meant. And so really slowing down and reconnecting to myself was the foundation of it all. And the natural teacher in me was like, How can I put this into a curriculum that makes sense for others, right? And for me, course creation is so easy and natural, and it just makes sense in my brain. And I put together my first eight-week course, and and I would just building it. I have the notebook still. I should have, could have brought it. It's somewhere in the storage room. But there's a page where each module of the eight-week course is just a page of notes about that thing. And so reverence is the first one. It's like, okay, what is self-love? What is compassion? What does it look like to have deep respect? How do we do that from a lens of connecting to ourselves? And so I just started putting this all down on paper and then launched it into the world for, I think when I started, it was like 297 and it was so, so choppy and so, you know, like emails out every week, but I loved it. It was definitely me and my element and sharing and gifting my mother-in-law, you know, a spot and my best friend a spot just so we could fill it up and have community. And it's just really grown from there.
0: Wow. I love how it just brought all the pieces of you together, but also you just stayed true to what you knew you were good at and what drove you and what you were natural at. Oh, that's beautiful. I also dying to know how you integrated that into a sort of mainstream, definitely not woo-woo into self-development classroom. How did your students react? What was the first thing you started with and how did you start?
1: So we definitely started with breathing because I feel like that is sort of everything. The only thing we have control of in this life is ourselves. And even deeper than that, all we have in control of is our breath, the inhale, the exhale, that's it. And so we would just take like breathing breaks, you know, I would go in and model and say, you know, I'm feeling kind of under the weather. And even though I was dealing with adults, I would draw a little rain cloud on the chalkboard back then because we didn't have dry erase i just love a good chalkboard though if i ever walk into a classroom now and i see a chalkboard i literally giggle with joy there's something about fresh chalk a completely you know blank canvas and my writing on it yeah
0: and there's a smell there's a smell when you use chalk too i know i know the
1: nostalgia like Mm. truly the nostalgia and so yeah i would have a little picture of like a little me stick figure because I'm not an artist and a cloud and I would say I'm under the weather today. And I know there are some things that make me feel better when I'm under the weather. So I was wondering if we could just do it together. And so I would turn the lights off. I'd say you could put your head down, whatever. I'm going to play some music or we're just going to breathe for a bit. And so that's how it really started. Just, you know, 60 seconds of that, two minutes of that, really asking students questions about how do you feel right now? And are you thinking in the past? Are you thinking in the future or are you here right now with me? Like I want you to be with me. And another part of that is i I never allowed cell phones in my classroom back Ugh. when we were in real life. So they either had to park them with me if they couldn't keep them in their pockets without feeling the need to go after them. And I think that that really created an environment where people were in the moment, right? You're not tethered to something that's outside of you or outside of your present experience. so we we did that, and I felt like that made a huge difference. And so presence for me, is that first pillar of lovely human school. Then we get into positivity and then we get into potential. But first you need presence. And so it was really about bringing presence into whatever we were doing in the classroom.
0: Oh, what a beautiful starting point. And I just am relating to that on all points because before we pressed record, we were talking about how this is my first year lecturing in a uni classroom and just Figuring out how to help them be present because there are so many distractions. And this is everybody listening to this right now, right? Think about all the things that can distract you, not just in your head, but your phone, your computer, all the beautiful and fun and amusing things you can stream on Netflix or Prime or HBO or all the platforms. But we are inundated with distractions and it's so difficult to be present. But I mean, I just got back from teaching my yin yoga class in the studio here. And you just see, you watch people start to just relax and just sink floor and allow themselves to just do one thing. And they always come out just smiling and looking like they're going to go home and have a good sleep. And it's just such a gift to give yourself to be present, to let yourself just do one thing. And breath is the most beautiful way to start. Just it's one thing to focus on. It's the only thing you have to focus on, because I've started doing this with my my corporate clients when we focus on well-being. And I was initially and I'd love to hear how you were on this initially a little bit like, oh, boy, what are they going to do when I make these dudes who are like filled engineers in the telecoms industry sit and breathe for five minutes? And they love it. How have you found it? Have people been receptive to it as you built this school in your classroom? Have people been receptive to that?
1: Yeah, I would say as soon as people know that there's a benefit or they can feel the benefit, then they're in, right? They've bought in. And I've actually, similar to you, most of my students are male. And also I've done yoga with businessmen. And
0: hmm.
1: they start the yoga class, like standing at the back of the wall, chatting with each other, right? Week one. And then by week three of an eight-week sort of cycle, they're on their backs, eyes closed, like in happy baby, ready to start, the class. And so I think that once we realize something feels good, Mm -hmm. we're more likely to continue it. And so I just find that being consistent and making it a practice is what really makes a difference. And so when I'm doing it in my classrooms, I think for me as a teacher, I've really had to let my ego go and just be like, I don't, it doesn't matter what the outcome is here. I'm just bringing myself and my gifts to the world. And I'm planting a seed at the very least. I'm modeling at the very least. And at the very least, I am being who I am and not compromising on that and sharing my gifts and being of service. And so that for me is enough. And that's a practice because I love me some good external validation. (laughs) Who doesn't? Feedback, feedback. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that for me has been a really big opportunity to just show up and share and there are going to be people who don't like it and who don't align with it. And that's okay. I just did a presentation, like a, a speaking gig. And I finished the speaking gig. And someone was like, I'm never going to use this. This is not something I'm ever going to use. And my immediate response is like, wow, ouch. You know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's like, you know what? That's okay. Because this is who I am. And this is what I have to offer. And that's okay. You know, maybe one person will use it of the 26. And if you're not one of them, all right, I brought my energy to you. I brought my sunshine to you. And if nothing else, while I was in conversation with you, I loved you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I showed up with love
0: and that's got to be enough at the end of the day. Not their brand of sunshine, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting thinking about self-care because do you find that a lot of people just don't actually feel like they deserve self-care? What gets in the way of self-care?
1: you nailed it. So guilt is number one. And then just feelings of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. Right. And especially if we haven't had it modeled, if we haven't had it taught, then we're even less likely to do it. Right. And that's why I started self-care club was because I wanted to get people together to schedule it every Sunday to be like, oh, I'm not the only one scheduling it in between sales calls and in between Zoom calls and in between responsibilities at home and the kids. I want this to become normalized, right? And so Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important for me to model it and to show it because I love working. I could be at my laptop 14 to 16 hours a day and be the happiest human ever, but am I compromising on my needs? Am I compromising on my creativity because I'm not taking time away? I'm not recharging. And, And it's been really this practice of coming into relationship of flow and coming into relationship of, you know, taking the time proactively so that I can sustain my energy and I don't just go Monday to Friday, 12-hour days, and then I'm, you know, a coach potato all week and I want to be able to enjoy every day and love every day and take care of myself every day. So when worthiness and guilt step in, that's really an invitation for us to get reconnected to ourselves. That very first step of, okay, why don't I feel worthy? What's the underlying thing there? Am I repeating a story that's not actually true? Am I holding on to something that I've learned that actually isn't something that's helping me? And what can I do to release it? What support do I need? And I find that the people who have guilt and who have those feelings of unworthiness, sometimes the best way through it is facilitation. So having someone shine the light so that they are able to walk together instead of having to dig through the darkness alone.
0: Yeah, that's a biggie. I find with a lot of my friends, especially people who are parents, you know, and they just feel so guilty if they're not giving their all to their family. But also you nailed what has been my barriers. I love my work. I love my work. But then you realize it's not good enough to just do the things that you like doing. Sometimes those things are not sustainable at a certain pace either. Like you need your Friday afternoons off or whatever your self care dates with yourself are because. If you're not feeding the things that you need to bring to the world, like your creativity, like your energy, you're not actually going to be able to bring your whole self to the world, right?
1: Nailed it. That's exactly it. And the way I want to be in the world is I want to be myself in the world and I want to be my best self in the world. I call it my loveliest self, but I want to be, of course, right? I want to be that version of myself. And I know when I'm not eating well, when I'm not sleeping well, when I'm not moving my body or loving my body, I'll start fights with my wife, you know I'll get sassy with my sister I'll have a student email me and my initial reaction is you know rolling my eyes and huffing and puffing that's not how I want to be in the world. That is definitely not how I want to respond to people, to interact with people and so I just decide to take care of myself so that I'm not that person and that is what motivates me because I know I want to be my loveliest self therefore I am going to take the time because I don't want to show up halfway. And that works with families too, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, that can be the motivator. I don't want to show up halfway with my kid. I don't want to get impatient with my
0: kid. Yeah, or as a partner. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And also, loveliest self. So on brand. Love yeah, it. On brand. Yeah, totally. But that idea that you should, well the juice is and the clues are in your reactions. And I can totally relate to that. When I just feel like defensive and I take things personally, the the finger is pointing back at me to be like, what are you not giving yourself that you have to feel like punching this person who just ran a red light and almost ran you over or just being impatient? And it's probably a good idea for people listening to sit with that. You know, what is it? That is a signal to you that maybe you're not giving yourself the love that you need to be your loveliest self because no one can make you your loveliest self except you. This is all internal work. Yeah, because I also have little tests that I judge how well I'm doing at self care and how much I'm taking care of myself by have I had my sacred Monday night, but to date night? Have I cooked at least three times this week? Have I gone to the gym at least? This is going to sound crazy. At least four times a week, sometimes five if I'm lucky. But yeah, there are little things that are. I've learned. If I'm skipping those things, I am going to burn out every Christmas. <laughs> I am going to get sick in December, maybe in February and June, too. You know, it's sort of like, think about that. Does anybody listening think about that? What are your patterns that show you when you're not taking care of yourself? And I'm sure you have great insight into this, too, because you work with people on their self-care and planning for it. But Any thoughts on sort of what are some of the signals that maybe people can look for that they really need to look at their self-care? They need to look at how do they make themselves their loveliest selves?
1: We call it a weather forecast, right? And we all have different spirals. Our spirals all look different because we're all individual, unique humans. And so the trick is to figure out what is the weather forecast before the storm actually hits. And the more we spend time with ourselves, the more we can kick ourselves out of that spiral. So like, let's say the tornado, right? We can kick ourselves out of it or run away from it or, or avoid it completely if we're able to see that weather forecast coming. And so for me, the weather forecast is sass, right? If my response to an email has me like, I get this sort of look in my eye where I'm like, my eyes get like a little squinty and I like grind my teeth and I like look off to the right being like, are you kidding me? Like that for me, if that is a response, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> Maggie needs some yoga, right? And so for me, the SAS is one of them having like a constantly racing heart or ruminating over worries of the future. So for me, I've really nailed it down to those things. And that's pretty frequent. I think that we live in a society where we always say, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious and my encouragement to anyone listening is let's break that down a little bit. What is your stress? What is your overwhelm? So that you can really understand, do you get flush in the face? Are you waking up tired? Are you not able to shut your brain off at night? Once we can nail down what the thing is, then we're better able to prevent it or do something uh, reactively so that you feel better. I really think that we are in a culture where we believe that we should be suffering and in pain. And my truest, truest belief is that that is not what this lifetime is about, that we are meant to be extraordinary and give our gifts in the world and serve and love. Like Lovely Human School, it all comes back to love. Like, can you love yourself so that you can be in the world? We have this thing called feel lovely, see lovely, do lovely. Number one step, you have to feel lovely then you can see the world lovely and then you can go and do lovely things. So really being in touch and being aware with how you're feeling in the moment, that's key here. What's your weather forecast? What's the thing that kind of gets you on edge so that in that moment you can say, okay, what do I need? What's the thing that I need? You stop everything. Like everything pauses, you say no to all the things because if you don't catch it in the weather forecast, you're gonna end up in the spiral. And if you're worried about productivity, if you're worried about time, that spiral takes way more time than grabbing an umbrella because it's raining, right? Like there's so much in that destructive path of that spiral that you're just going to have to be playing cleanup for so long that had you just grabbed the umbrella, you would have been okay.
0: Oh, it strikes me the order of that is so important because, you know, we also hear act as if, and, and there are moments when, you know, acting nicer than you feel is definitely appropriate, but Acting lovely when you are not feeling lovely or seeing lovely is just going to grind you down, isn't it? It's a doing thing, not a being thing. And it's really important where that comes from. I think that's just something to keep in mind because we come from cultures. I mean, North Americans, we are taught to have work ethic and that things have to be a bit of a grind, a bit of a struggle. It's virtuous to work your butt off. But finding ease in things is not viewed as virtuous, is it? And and actually, when you're doing things that you're good at or you're in flow, we talked about that a bit earlier, it should feel easy. So it's kind of like counter to the culture we've been conditioned in, both of us. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. I had a coach who really challenged me on that in the last couple of years who was like, you think everything needs to be a struggle, don't you? And I was like, hell yeah, I'm a cowgirl from Wyoming. There are billboards about this stuff. Like, if you don't do it, no one will. So, yeah, deconditioning that, don't beat yourself up if you need to decondition that, right? You just need to be conscious of it. And then you can decondition. You could recondition to be lovely. So obviously, you know a lot about how stress and overwhelm keeps us from our happiness and therefore from our loveliest selves, which you could say also is your most powerful self, your most creative self, the you that you really need to be in the world. So talk about stress and overwhelm. Like, What's the other side of being lovely on the other side? What does that do to
1: us? Okay, so I have to
0: preface this
1: with a book that I just read called The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. And if you mm-hmm. have not read this, game freaking changer.
0: Rubbing a pen.
1: Okay. I have a monthly book club with my sister-in-law. And we just did this because we had this idea of, you know, we want to read more. We want to talk about things more. And so this was my pick for October because it was my birthday and I've been wanting to read this forever. Backstory. We read this book and Some of the concepts here are fabulous. And I wanna share one of them, two of them with you. The first one is that he, Michael A. Singer, the author says, in life, we have thorns. And so if you imagine a thorn in your arm, it's something bad that happened to you. It's a feeling you have, it's a trauma. It's something that's like negatively impacted you and it's a thorn and it's in you. What we do is we design our entire life to protect this thorn. We avoid people. We set up terrible boundaries. We become workaholics. We have all of these things so that we avoid the initial thing that hurt us, the initial thing that caused pain, that caused grief, whatever the case might be. So we could talk about stress and overwhelm. Stress is a thorn. So we develop this whole system of food and alcohol and television and avoidance and all of these things as a contraption around the thing that's actually bothering us when really all we had and we moved through life like trying to like not knock it right we're trying to protect the thing all we had to do was remove the thorn hmm. that's all we had to do we didn't have to design this whole contraption to protect ourselves we didn't have to make all those decisions all we had to do was take the time to take the darn thorn out <laughs> so that's what, simple. one simple one way of thinking of it and of really breaking down stress and overwhelm why are we making stress and overwhelm this huge thing when really if we break it down and we say what's actually is it work that's causing it what about work is causing it okay then what can i do about the thing that's causing the thing that doesn't make me feel good. Mm. Right. And then that becomes so much easier to handle than the words that we throw out because words are so powerful. I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. And the second thing that Michael A. Singer says is that you get to choose happiness every moment, no matter what is happening to you. That is one thing that is in your control is that you can choose happiness. And there are so many stories Victor Frankl is our next book, Say Yes to Life for December. And it doesn't matter what you've gone through in your life. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. You can always choose happiness. And so when things are feeling, quote unquote, stressful or overwhelming, you are choosing to view it as such. You are choosing to see it as a bad thing instead of looking at it differently. And another person I'll throw out is Kelly McGonigal, who talks about the upside of stress. And stress is actually not bad for us. It's our perspective of stress that is bad for us. So there's wild studies about like long, long, long studies, 50 years, 40 year studies of people who thought about stress as being a bad thing, having way more health concerns of dying at an earlier age, like the research on this is astounding and demonstrates that it's truly not stress that hurts us right stress on our muscles builds muscles yeah right and and yet we think about stress as being a terrible thing like i want to avoid stress i want to avoid stress why not just become really comfy with stress why not see it as an opportunity why not look at it and say i'm going to choose happiness i'm going to meet this head on and not the butts right? Oh, I'm so stressed, but I'm really grateful. No, no, no. I've got stress and I'm grateful and I love life and I choose
0: happiness. It is, I say, the crunchy with the smooth. It's just life. I love that. And it is about, you know, diamonds wouldn't exist without stress. They are created under extreme heat and pressure. And yeah, if we are expecting life to be smooth and not stressful, we are going to be very unhappy and unrealistic lives. <laughs> Thank you. That was so beautifully put. And, and I sort of present that to listeners as such a gift. As we talk about discomfort, it's not stress. It's what you do with it, basically, isn't it? It's the, the thing. So you talk about fluffy self-care and icky self-care. And this feels like kind of a natural segue into talking about that because it, it's a beautiful lens. And it's, I think it's related to what you were just talking about. So dive us into that. What are you talking about with icky self-care?
1: Icky self-care is the part of self-care that you just don't want to do, right? Like think of your taxes. You don't want to do your taxes, but you know it's good for you. Mm. You don't want to set the boundary, but you know it's good for you. You don't want to have a hard conversation, but you know that it's good for you. So icky self-care are those things that do take care of yourself, do take care of parts of yourself that need it, but that are sometimes uncomfortable to do, or they cause a lot of discomfort. And that really can only be done when you've done the fluffy self-care. So the fluffy self-care are, you know, the bubble baths and the face masks and, you know, the yoga class and, and those sorts of things that pat us up and fluff up our feathers. The icky self-care are the times when we have to hunker down and really pull up from that well of resiliency and strength and power to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing because I know in the end it is what I need. I know it is uncomfortable. I know it is going to maybe cause a bit of friction or, you know, make me grow in ways that I don't know if I'm totally ready for. It's gonna stretch me, but I know it's necessary. And so therefore it is considered self-care because it's taking care of a need.
0: I love that you pointed out, and rightfully so, but it it kind of rubbed up against my things must be hard bent where you need the fluffy self care before you can do the icky self care. And that's a really important point to make. It's not that you just have to like get on with the damn thing, save money, file your taxes, do all those things, have the hard conversations. Because if it's coming from a place of depletion, it's not really self-care. It's pushing yourself beyond where you have the energy to be. So yeah, take care of yourself in the lovely ways, which is nice to think about. Like you can do the hard life admin better if you're actually making time for yourself to have a date night or a facial or whatever it is you need is fluffy self-care. I like that. A lot, actually. So, yeah, remember that, everybody. Remember that you have to do the fluffy self-care to be good at the icky self-care, not the other way around. Was that a lesson that you had to learn or it sounds like this all came from a place of having to learn to be better at self-care? Full stop. But what was your journey into kind of understanding and then framing icky self-care versus fluffy self-care like that?
1: It had to do with not having capacity. Right. If I don't feel worthy of even taking time for myself, how the heck am I going to set a boundary? Mm. (laughs) If I don't even feel worthy of taking up space, how can I ask somebody else for it? So it really was just a natural progression of having reverence and having deep respect for myself enough to be able to do the icky. Right. Enough to be able to say and have the confidence that I can do hard things and be okay at the end of it and love myself. Through it so that it's not me doing something that's uncomfortable and then feeling really bad about it at the end, right? Because I I wasn't able to show up for my full self in that way. And it was kind of messy and disjointed and, you know, hopping from step to step to step and not having that clear, this is who I am. This is what I deserve. This is what I'm going to ask for. And I am not compromising on this in this way because I am who I am. And so, The fluffy needed to come first because I didn't feel worthy of it in the beginning because I was so used to giving. I was so used to being the good girl and the good sister and the one who would, you know, drive two hours at the end of a workday to help my sister, like God love her so much, to help my sister with an assignment and then drive home to work the next day. And I didn't know that there was another option. And while I loved it in the moment, I didn't realize the cost it had on my health and so you know fast forward now my sister who is in her masters who would say hey can you look over this paper me being able to say i don't have capacity for it tonight i have 9am 9 to 915 tomorrow where i can look at it and i'm so happy and i love you and i care about you and her being able to say cool no problem thanks and rather than it being this thing of oh i'm a bad person for saying no and for not stopping everything to do the thing that i always did It's just been a really beautiful evolution of possibility for everyone when you do the small stuff, the daily practices, you're able to do the big stuff and with more ease and with more love for self and with more love for others. And it improves relationships in such big ways.
0: Boundaries have come up so much, but that answers a whole slew of questions I had about how do you change the world better by taking care of yourself? Because you have this great quote on your website that I really love, which is when we take care of ourselves, we live the lives we dream of. So obviously, you know, there are a lot of people listening to this who want to make the world a better place. It's probably why they're listening to a podcast called The Discomfort Practice. You know, it's not exactly the hedonist practice. But also, you know, all of the work I've done, all of my career is in social and environmental issues. But it's just such a beautiful reminder that if we want to be living Full capacity at full power in the world. If we want to truly change the world, we have to start by taking care of ourselves. And then we have to use that self care, that self love to create the boundaries because we aren't limitless. We aren't machines. And that's part of what's beautiful about us, right? The lovely human school. We're humans. And I think that's something that we forget, especially as so many people are working from home. You know, they've got back to back to back to back meetings, no lunch hours. And it's really hard to draw a boundary when you work for a multinational where that's the culture or just any place where that's the culture. So what's one tip or something to think about you could give to people who might be really struggling to see how they could possibly squeeze self-care into maybe feeling like they're sort of swept away by the culture they're in or the, the, the structures they're in. You know, they can't say no, they can't draw a boundary, maybe at work, maybe at home. Where do they start? two
1: things be the first and start small hmm. so whether or not your culture embraces it be the first in that place I remember working at my institution and I was the one that would say happy Monday happy Monday through the halls right trying to bring a little bit of that humanity and that connection. And it took me eight years to get a happy Monday back from maybe one of the most crotchety professors I've ever met. And I just kept doing what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be in the world. And the same went with teaching. I I always taught with my heart on my sleeve. And some of the older faculty would say, like, that's not the way to do it. You have to be hard and you have to not have extensions and you can't let people walk in late and you need to lock the door. And I just said, I don't want to roll that way. And that doesn't embrace my teaching philosophy and how I feel about learning and humans who need my presence, to be honest, who need my gifts in the world. And so I think being the first is so powerful. And if you know that it's what you are meant to do and it's what you want to do even more, then you just be the first. And I would say that the ripples that are created, you don't even know what they are. And I know in my own family, me just being who I am and sharing this has created such big changes. Even in my my partnership, it has created huge. My wife doesn't do yoga. My wife maybe has listened to one of my meditations that I've ever done, <laughs> right? But But she picks up on the vocabulary and the language and me modeling resiliency. And so when she has tough days, you know, I can hear the growth. And so even though she's not actively doing things, she's taking in my energy and my presence. And so it can be profound. So be the first. And the other thing is to start small. Start with your breath. Start with listening and not talking. I have this new thing. I love chatting. And again, my go-to is the sass. My go-to is the rolling of the eyes, the huffing, the puffing. I started taking my physical hand and putting it over my mouth of like clasping my lips together. So that I would not speak and that I would process and think before saying anything. And what I would do in my head while I was physically telling myself to shut up is I would say, how can I be loving right now? How can I choose happiness right now? And how can I come from a place of love? And I will tell you, the amount of disagreements that we no longer have in my household is out of this world because one person and your own actions and your own choices can make such a difference in the relationships that you have, whether that's professional, whether that's personal, because you're in charge of your own experience. I no longer let, you know, my wife's nagging bother me. She told me that I parked in the snowbank, which is a very true story. I'm not a (laughs) great parker. It is snowing. Okay. So everything's white out the back. Um, I'm just going to preface with that. But you know, I think past Megan would have been like, well, get all defensive about not being perfect and not doing things right, you know? And my go to would be like, oh man, I can't believe I like basically made an entire car plow with my little Chrysler 200, you know? Like, wow, good thing the next door neighbor didn't see. And so, like, having a response that is playful and fun and being able to enjoy that part and choose that very small ways right? Just take the pause, breathe, and ask yourself, can I choose happiness? Can I be more loving right now?
0: Mm. Take a breath is one of the best mantras that has ever entered my life because it does give you space to be like, don't react. Just don't react. And then if you can inject something beautiful like that, how can I choose to be loving? How can I choose to be happy? Because you realize like, you might get some sort of pleasure out of starting a fight or clapping back or defending yourself, but is that really happiness? Or is it just one of those little, it's like eating fudge for breakfast. You really shouldn't do it. You might enjoy it at the time, but you know, two kilos of your thighs later and you will not. But yeah, it's just like, mm, I say this because I ate fudge for breakfast. Clearly it's Christmas season. i love that. trying to talk myself out of it. But yeah, just those little things. That was so simple. And so something I hope people rewind or write down if you don't remember what Megan just said, because those are beautiful ways to just Really change your world, because the world changes around you. You change yourself. You change the world around you. You change the world at large by simply putting out those ripples of choosing happiness, choosing to be lovely. Thank you. I love that. So you've talked about being the first. And one of my questions was about how do we hold space for others to focus on self-care as kind of revolutionary. But we've kind of touched on that a lot about how it's really not part of our culture how it's something a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to do. And you talked about being the first, but how can people who maybe aren't into self-care yet or, or who aren't yoga teachers or fitness teachers, or even into quote fluffy self-care practices already, how can they hold space for themselves and other people to focus on self-care?
1: I would say, you know, maybe starting with writing, what do I want? right? What do I want? How do I want to feel? And part of my process in helping people design self-care systems is if I were to wave a magical self-care queen wand and you could feel any three feelings tomorrow, what would they be? And that's like a very linear process, right? Okay. I want to feel balanced, free, and inspired. And then thinking, what brings me closer to that and what takes me farther away? And so you just start injecting into your everyday things that take you closer and so if you want to hold space for people figure out how they want to feel if someone's wanting to feel motivated or energized it's a very different approach than if someone wants to feel calm and relaxed right and so for me holding space for my wife who loves calm loves relax i am like a bit more of the energetic one of you know like let's go do all the things and have all the conversations You know, I'm going to hold space around her when she's coming to me with an issue. I'm not elevated in my tone of voice, in my pitch, in my volume at all. I'm like slower talking, maybe a little bit deeper. My shoulders are pointed towards her. Like if you're wanting to hold space for others and you don't really know how to add this self care in, figure out what the other person needs and then see if it's within your capacity to meet them there, or to figure out how can you create an environment that supports that. And one of the things that we think about in relationships with other people, and I think that's where the biggest lesson lessons are in life are truly relationships, partner, professional, doesn't matter, is asking how can I support your happiness? Right? Somebody doesn't make me happy. That's my job, but somebody can support my happiness. So just asking the question, how can I support your happiness right now? How can I support you? What do you need? And then Allowing yourself the opportunity to decide, is this within my capacity right now? Is this going to deplete me or is this going to be something that feels okay? Because I am the queen of doing things and then resenting the heck out of the fact that I did the thing. And so my practice is to check in with myself. Do I have the capacity without expectation? I'm going to make dinner without expectation of even a thank you. I'm just making dinner from a place of love. Because I know I need nourishment and I'm happy to share that nourishment
0: with others. Oh, such a good point. And that is sort of the basis of unconditional love, which you might contend doesn't exist or maybe it does. But yeah, choosing happiness and just giving it as a gift. And if you're not willing to give it as a gift, don't offer to make dinner. And that's okay too. Yeah, I love that. that. Well, that kind of preempts a tricky, sticky question that I grapple with quite regularly, which is that isn't self-care just kind of an immensely privileged thing to be able to do, to focus on? And obviously we circulate in the well-being industry, which tends to be incredibly white and incredibly wealthy and privileged. But from what you're saying, and I don't want to discount the barriers, you know, the significant systemic barriers and biases and trauma that people have encountered because of exploitation that's built into our current systems in which the world works. But how is this actually for everyone? Let's propose it out there, and happy to have people offer their thoughts and tell us where we might need to be a bit more sophisticated in our understanding of this. But how is this actually an approach that could work for everyone, no matter the time they have, the privilege they have, the resources they have?
1: Totally. I appreciate this so much, and as a white, queer woman, I still acknowledge the privilege that I hold in society, um especially able bodied and you know, mm-hmm. all of those nuances. And so I, I appreciate this because when we think about how self-care is packaged to us in the media and in society, I think it does come across as a very privileged thing, the way very, I think of.
0: It's very aspirational. It's put out there as aspirational. Yeah. It's sort of look a certain way and you have to do certain things to do self-care. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I mean, It can look that way. You know, you could buy the $99 rose quartz roller for your face and, you know, take care of yourself that way or get massages or whatever. And that might be the flavor of self care that some people, you know, do or adhere to. And I would say, in addition to that, the way I look at self care is at the very foundation of like breathing, of mindfulness, of being in the moment. And regardless of, Wherever you are in life, you have that ability because you are a human being on this earth. That is to also acknowledge the immense barriers that are there for those in lower socioeconomic statuses who are challenged with, you know, having responsibilities at work and childcare and lack of support and resources and all of those things. But I do believe that everyone can practice self care because you can breathe, because you have a brain, right? Because you have the ability to be in the moment with the brain that you have and with your heart and with your soul that we are all just given. And so I think that that's a really great place to start. And I also know when I started my self-care journey, I had zero dollars, right? Like I I didn't have money to, like, I was like $20 to gas at my car, $20 for groceries. I'm not sure. Which is, do I go 10 and 10? No clue. Right? And so I really reached out for all of the free resources. And we are so blessed to have YouTube and Google and all of those things that are accessible in libraries that are accessible, you know, free of charge in so many different places. And I do know a lot of people and have gathered a lot of resources of people who do things for free, right? Consultations online. I did a 90 minute free relationship coaching thing, and I couldn't believe that it was free. And I learned so many things from that session. So I would say that even if you know, there are barriers to it. We can always find a way. There's always a way. There are always people who are generous and who are able to support us. We also have to be okay with asking for help.
0: Mm, Beautiful. And that also, well, it's a beautiful answer. Thank you. But it also is a really beautiful reminder that the other side of this, well, not even the other side of this, we've talked about this, but there's an immense amount of value that comes from you know, discomfort. And we live relatively privileged lives, both of us looking at us, you know, we're white women, but still from very powerful countries with an education and, you know, fully abled and all of that. But you talked about Viktor Frankl, you know, this is a man who was in Auschwitz and immense suffering, but the ability to choose happiness is universal. And that's not to discount anybody who has significant barriers, you know, to Being able to access certain types of well-being but like you said there's breath and some of these incredible ancient practices that we do you know breath work and yoga and indigenous peoples around the world who still maintain these beautiful mystical practices or physical practices or just contact with nature that is their spiritual practice you know it's kind of nice to be able to take this out of being a privileged conversation Because we can also learn a lot and remember a lot that we have forgotten in being in kinds of cultures we're from. So I think that's a conversation we're starting to find our way into more as a well-being industry because we've started to do some of the grappling with the, the privilege question, the elephant in the room. And I think we need to continue grappling with that. But hopefully it doesn't become one of those just questions that you can then hire certain Amounts of people of certain colors, or yeah, you know, it's that's not where any of this should stop. It's about how do you have a richer experience that is more welcoming, have a richer understanding of the world and its connection that means you're not exploiting people or you're just conscious. It's about being more conscious and giving people your presence and allowing yourself to admit you're wrong. So kind of meandered into a very long conversation that we should probably have in our next chat, yes, please. yes. Well, final thoughts. What are a couple of things you would like to leave listeners with? You've said so many beautiful things and given some really top tips. You are so clearly a teacher. I love it. So a couple of things you'd like to leave people with.
1: Yeah, I just want anyone listening to know that you are innately lovely. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform a certain way or produce anything to actually be deserving of love. You are innately deserving of love because you are a human being on this earth. And so, I just want you to remember that and if you forget it, you can reach out to me and I will remind you and hype you up, but that your potential is infinite. And sometimes we forget that all of that lives inside of us. And I know that there was something that I read about, you know, the entire oak tree is in the acorn. So like everything that you have is enough. All the wisdom is within you. And sometimes we go so externally for the validation or for the answers. And sometimes all we really need is to get quiet, to let the noise go and to just be with ourselves and ask that question. What do I need to know? What do I need right now? How am I feeling? How can I be that person for myself? And I promise you that if you do that, if you get uncomfortable with the silence, if you get uncomfortable with being alone in the
0: solitude, that the answers will come and you will find joy and you will find beautiful. Clearly, you're so practiced in this. That was beautiful and succinct and actionable. So I want to thank you, first of all, for your time and your wisdom and your loveliness. And I want to invite people to find you, your website lovelyhumanscool.com, find you on Instagram. We'll put all of that in the show notes so people know how they can find you and then sign up for things like Sunday self-care club, which is such yeah. a brilliant concept. I might ask if you can like if you would like to have a Barcelona chapter. We could do that. I would love to. I would, I know a few people who would love to, so that would be awesome. But I definitely would love to invite you back already and we can dive deeper into how all of this is for everyone. Maybe include some other guests to talk about that. That would be a really interesting conversation. But also, I will probably catch up with you separately to ask about teaching from a veteran professor. Yeah. <laughs> how do you get them to not be on the internet all the time? Yeah, and various other questions. But I just want to end with a big thank you for your just beautiful energy and spirit, as well as really Practical insights and for what you're putting out into the world with the lovely human school. So, thank you so much, Megan. Thank
1: you so much. This has been so good for my heart to share these and for you holding space. So, I'm absolutely so, so grateful.
0: It's been a joy. Thank you. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like the discomfort practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a five star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast. And for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime... Stay uncomfortable.